Our title for this morning is the subject of transgender. Why can't you just let people be what feels right to them or for them? And uh, each morning in this seminar stream, as I think you know, we'll be tackling a different common objection to Christianity. Tomorrow we're looking at the whole question of what about homosexuality? And I'm delighted that Rob Wood and Jonathan Berry from the True Freedom Trust will be here. Um, those guys would say that they experience same-sex attraction. And so they're going to talk about the whole question of what about homosexuality as people who are attracted to people of the same sex. We'll look at science versus God on Thursday. Then we'll look at the whole question of Islam on Friday with Jay Smith. Jay is one of the world's leading experts on Islam. And then on Saturday, we'll tackle the huge question of why would a good God allow suffering. But for this morning, I'm really pleased that we have Andrew Wilson, who's going to come and speak to us. He's also speaking this evening here in the Big Top. Those of you who know Andrew will know that he has a tremendous gift of being able to explain sometimes quite complicated concepts and ideas in a way that is easily understandable and that other people can relate to. And sometimes I've found he will say something in a talk in a Christian meeting, and I actually say that thing that he said to someone who doesn't know Jesus, and even little phrases and sentences I've found helpful. So uh, we're so grateful that Andrew, who served New Day so well over many years, is here to speak to us on this difficult and important and very topical subject. So I hope you'll join me in giving an absolutely huge New Day welcome to Andrew Wilson. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wow. There's a lot of people here, which is good. So we're going to look at, um, I'm going to bundle two related words together this morning, and we're going to look at both of them because they're related to each other. We're going to look at transgender, and I'll explain what that is in a minute, if you don't already know. And we're going to look at being intersex as well, which is different, but is another word we might need to get our heads around as well if we're going to look at this. And so what Effectively, what we're trying to do this morning is look at the question, how should I as a Christian respond if I am transgender or intersex, or probably applies to far more of us, if I know somebody or meet somebody who is transgender or intersex, how do I respond to someone if their experience of their, the way they experience life, their gender, their sense of who they are, doesn't match their biological sex? How do, I, how do I think that one through? So biologically, I might be male, but I might feel that I experience life more as a woman. If that was true, how should I respond as a Christian? And how should other people respond to me? And so we're going to look at that. That's the question really of transgender, that my experience of my gender, the thing I feel, the way what's inside, in between my ears is different from what's in between my legs, if I can put it that way. I feel this way, and biologically, I am that way. What do we do with that as Christians? Whether it's for you or, which it will be for some in a room this size, there'll be some for whom that's your issue and probably a great many for whom it's the issue of somebody you know. So we're going to look at that. That's, that's the issue of transgender or what we sometimes call gender dysphoria, which is really that there is a disconnect between my biology and my psychology when it comes to my sex or my gender. But we're also going to look a little bit at what it is to be intersex, which is something different, and that is where somebody's biological sex itself is unclear. So this is a very different kind of thing. Transgender means I am biologically, say, male, but I experience life, or I feel like I experience life as a woman, or the other way around. Intersex is different. Intersex is when my sex itself is not clear. My genitals or my genes or my gonads are ambiguous. There, there might, it might be that I present as having slightly different chromosomes or genes to the initial evidence of my biology. And sometimes that comes about at, at, at birth. You can see it straight away. And sometimes there are some conditions where later in life... Uh, something will happen with people's hormones where it looks that their biology is changing or is variable or ambiguous. And we're going to try and look at both of those things together. And I would like the question in both cases to be, what does love look like? For you, uh, if, you're a, if you're a Christian and you're living with those things, or if you're a Christian and you're living with someone who, who has, you know someone else who is living with those things, what does love look like? Because if you're a Christian, then the question is never, do I love this person or not? The question is, 
how do I love this person? That's always the issue, right? Do I love this person? They're wrestling with this. Do I love them? That's never the right question for a Christian. It's always how. How do I love this person? Well, transgender has become a really big cultural issue in the last few Actually, a few months even, last, certainly last year or so, it's become a much bigger issue. So about a year ago, um, two years ago, Time magazine said transgender is the next civil rights frontier. So they said this is the next big thing that we're going to be working through what rights for transgender people look like. And then last year in June, Vanity Fair ran a cover story with a picture on it of a guy called Bruce Jenner who has transitioned to being a woman called Caitlyn Jenner. And he is a former Olympic gold medal winning decathlete and the father of six children. And he just transitioned into being a woman called Caitlin and he's become very well known in America. He's got his own reality TV show. He's a very high profile person. And that was last June, in just June 2015. And I think one of the reasons why transgender became a much bigger issue in June 2015 is because June 2015 is also when the Supreme Court in America said that gay marriage was going to be legal. So effectively, everybody who had been saying, we need reform for gay marriage, now said, well, we've done that. So what's next? And what's next is now thinking through the issue of transgender. A couple of months ago, in my hometown of Eastbourne, there was a a school that asked all the students to come in dressed in rainbow-colored clothing to represent their celebration of LGBT, lay, uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender individuals and identity. And when they did, they came in and they said, look, here's a, a chalk line on a board. And they said, we'd like you, th- this is male and this is female. Why don't you put a cross on the line to tell us where you feel you are? Another one, that's probably quite normal. Others in the room may have done that. That people are beginning to say, there's a spectrum. You might think there's men and women, boys and girls, but actually, no, there's a whole spectrum here, and you need to decide where you fit on it. Um, and there was a huge bust up in the US about three months ago over a shop called Target, which is like a big, like TJ Maxx or something, um, that, or TJ Hughes, TK Maxx, that kind of big shop that was saying, hey, we'd like to have transgender bathrooms, and there was a big boycott, and there was a huge hoo-ha about it, and anyway, there was a whole big thing in the, in the news in America. And even in, in the UK now, in Brighton, uh, four-year-olds are asked, their parents are asked to say, which gender does this person identify with? When the child's four rather than are they male or female. The question is, which gender do they most identify with? And then behind all of those headlines, there's a whole bunch of very confused and often hurting people saying, I don't don't know what to make of this. And a lot of people reading and going, well, but I just feel like a man is a man, a woman is a woman. What's the deal here? And many other people saying, well, this is my experience and it doesn't quite fit with yours and I don't know how to make sense of that and to think it through. And if our question is, what does love look like? What does it look like to be like Jesus in this context, in this society, then there's a bit of a minefield ahead of us. It's not obvious what the answer is, I don't think. So we're going to turn to the Word of God, and I'm sure find some help there. We're going to be in Matthew 19. So if you still have your Bible from the previous session, it would be great to turn turn in, in your Bible to Matthew chapter 19. You won't be surprised to know that there isn't a section in the Bible on hormone therapy or sex changes. Those are not things that Middle Eastern people 2,000 years ago were worried about. It's only become a possibility of conversation for the last few years. But what Jesus does say in the context of another discussion about divorce, as it happens, is really, really helpful in thinking through the issue of transgender and intersex. Okay? So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 19. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, haven't you read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. 
And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it's given. For there are eunuchs who've been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now this is a story about divorce and remarriage, not transgender or intersex. The Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus, and Jesus answers brilliantly, as he always does. But as he answers, he makes two points, which I think are really, really helpful when we're thinking about the issue of transgender and intersex. And the first point is in verse 4. So I'm going to ask, Nathaniel, could you just make verse 4 reappear as if by magic? Uh, from the, I imagine the first slide. Have you not read... Okay, next page. Oh, yeah, no, it's not, no, you're right. It is that page. Sorry. Thank you. Halfway down. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? This is one of two truths we need to hold to when navigating this issue and talking to people about it and thinking it through ourselves. Jesus affirms very simply, just said, haven't you read? There are, in the beginning, God created the male and female. We sometimes call that the male-female binary. The idea that creation is in, a, in opposite pairs. And you read Genesis, in fact, you might have been here last year, I talked about this a bit. You have the heavens and the earth, you have the sea and the land, you have you know, it's the highest heaven and the earth, all these pairs, one of which is male and female. And Jesus is affirming that. He's saying that's true, right? That's true. This is one of the things we need to hold in tension with another truth we'll see in a minute. There are males and females. Haven't you read, in the beginning, God made them? That's one of the two truths. There is a male-female binary. People are created male and female. It's not a big blurry spectrum where I'm 100% male and somebody else might be 80%. Um, you might have heard people who talk like this, you know, 100% male. Ooh. You know, people who are just like, yeah, they're kind of rugby and fire and they tear living animals apart and eat the meat raw and then storm off and sleep with 19 women. And rah, that's 100% man. And if you like poems and songs like I do and you read a lot of books, then you're like, no, a bit dodgy actually, more like sort of 70, 60% in that kind of area. And you might, some of you might live with that. You say, actually, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man, I've got a penis, I'm a male like anybody else, but I don't feel perhaps like proper man, like that guy over there. Um, and so I'm sort of a bit more in the middle. And then you might have, some people would say, then there's sort of women who are like really into sort of adventure and sport and they like they love and they're kind of physically strong as well perhaps. And they're able to achieve like Olympians maybe. And some people would say, oh, maybe they're nearer the male. And then over here, you've got kind of the full embodiment of a woman who maybe stereotypically is somebody who just wants to bake. And that's, that's wrong, right? That's just the wrong way of thinking about male and female. The Bible doesn't set that up for us. Society does. But the Bible doesn't. The Bible doesn't say, oh, 100% male, 100% female, big blur in the middle. The Bible says, no, there's male, female. You want to know, am I a male? Do you have a penis? It's quite straightforward. Am I a man in that sense? So it's not, and vice versa for a woman. So it's not difficult in that sense. And Jesus is affirming that in verse 4. That's one of the two truths we have to hold to. The other one sounds like it's pulling in the opposite direction, and it's in verse 12, which is in the final of these pages. This is a fascinating comment. Halfway down the page again. For there are eunuchs. A eunuch is somebody who, for various reasons, as Jesus will say, does not have the genitals that correspond to their biological sexual identity. And there are various reasons for that, as he's going to explain. There are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, by castration. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And that, we don't know quite what he means by that, but he may well mean people who have deliberately taken a vow of celibacy or become single for life. So in that sense, someone who's lifelong single might be like that. And so Jesus is saying the fascinating thing, there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. In other words, there are people, Jesus is saying, who are born without the appropriate genitals for their biological sex. Now, that's not the way he would have said it because they were 2,000 years ago in Palestine. They didn't talk that way. But in our terms, Jesus is saying there are eunuchs from birth. There are people whose genitals don't match 
their biological identity, if you like, in other ways, who might have ambiguous genitals. And Jesus, in other words, is able to say, on the one hand, there is male and female, a binary. And on the other hand, there are some exceptions. There are some people who, through no fault of their own, not through sin, just don't quite fit that. There is eunuchs, in that sense, like a third category. And that is very interesting and very important for us as we're trying to walk through a very complicated issue. So what I'm going to try and do is affirm both of those truths as we look at three different groups of people. Right? So the two truths are there is a male-female binary. God made us male and female, not in a big blurry spectrum. And there are some exceptions, even exceptions who have been so from birth. Both of those things are true. Both of those things are true. So what I'm going to do is try and apply those two truths to three different groups of people that we are talking about. The first group of people, intersex persons, intersex people whose genitals are ambiguous or genes or gonads are ambiguous. Um, Transgender people, I'll apply it to transgender people as well. Their experience of gender is different from their sex, their biological sex. And the third group of people I'm going to apply it to is the one that most of us have probably encountered, even if we haven't encountered intersex or transgender people. And that is the whole bunch of fashionable opinion formers in our country, journalists, media, activists, students, educators, progressive types, Twitterati, whoever, who are using the fact that there are such things as transgender and intersex people to destroy the male-female binary altogether. There's a lot of those people around saying, because there are exceptions, therefore this male-female binary you're talking about, that's that's not a thing. I know it says it in the Bible, but it's not true. It's hogwash. It's completely wrong. We need to just allow that everybody is like on a spectrum from male to female and deal with it, church. And so we're going to look at those, trying to hold those two truths. There is a binary. There are exceptions. And we're going to apply them to those three groups of people. Turn to the person next to you and say, that sounds relatively interesting. The nice thing is you actually all did that. That's really sweet. I really, really appreciate it. I'm feeling the love up here. Um, Just wanted you to do something. So, you meet an intersex person, or you have an intersex person here. My guess is in the room this size, there are some people here who are classified intersex. That's a label you would wear. You'd use it. You know, it's true of you that your, your, your genitals or your gonads or your genes are ambiguous. And you may have thought, wow, I didn't think I'd hear a talk on this. I had somebody, uh, two people get in touch with me when I spoke on this recently through the internet, getting in touch saying, I'm a Christian intersex person. I've never heard teaching on this, and I'm really appreciating what you said. It was really helpful. So I thought, wow, that's great. So there's probably some here as well. And out, if you're, but if, for those of you who are, so if you're an intersex person here, you know this. But if you're not, which most of us aren't, you're probably thinking, how do I engage with somebody whose biological sex is ambiguous? And the answer is actually quite simple. God loves you. I love you, we love you, I'd love to hear what is it like to be you? What is it like to live in your shoes and face your challenges? I have challenges, but I imagine yours are different from mine. I'd love to hear about them, and if I can help, tell me. That's how you respond to an intersex person. That's how you respond to somebody who, if you like, has ambiguous biological sex. You, you go in, in the sense, like you do to anybody else, and you say, tell me, how's it, how's, what's it like being you? I, God loves you. You know that, right? I, we love you. I mean, I'm sure there are people who have said things that have been hurtful to you in the past, and some of them may have been Christians, and I'm really sorry if that's true. I may have done it, and I'm sorry if that's true. I may have been insensitive and clumsy, but we do love you. And I'd just love to hear, my guess is you faced challenges that are quite distinct from the ones I face. I'd love to hear what that's like for you. That's how you handle an intersex person. It's not a special category saying, oh, goodness, can't talk to this person about this, this, and this. You say, what's it like? I love you. God loves you. Now, for many years, doctors, when faced with somebody who was intersex at birth, faced with an ambiguity, would simply decide, well, we're going to make this person a male, or we're going to make this person a female, because their understanding of the male-female binary was so strong that they didn't think there could be any exception. So when faced with someone who was a third group, as in some, some have a mixture of male and female genitals, a doctor would make a decision at birth and say, we were going to literally chop that bit off because we need to decide now. We can't have someone who's a mixture, so we're going to end up removing one surgically. That's very hurtful because obviously what, you, what you're then doing is making a decision before you know how that person is going to experience life 
with ambiguous genitals. So there's a big challenge there, but that's what often happened. But the more we've learned about intersex people, sometimes genitals don't form properly, or hormones might be resisted until a certain age and so on, the more we've been prepared just to wait and see how things turn out. So now, good medical advice will be if someone is born intersex, again, in a room this size, you might not have thought of this, the chances are that a handful of you may end up having an intersex child. And at this point, this will become not a, this will become not a hypothetical question for you. This will be very real. And what do I do? And actually, often what medical advice is now is, well, we, we don't have to make a decision yet. We just have to wait and see how this plays out and love the person for who they are, just like you would anybody else. And some Christians actually can feel quite threatened by that because Christians are saying, no, we have males and females and therefore there can't be any exceptions. But Jesus, in the passage we've just read, seems to say different. He seems to say, no, no, no. There, are ma- there is a male-female spectrum, a male-female binary, not a spectrum, and there are exceptions. And it's okay to, re- to see that way. Some were born eunuchs. In the beginning, God made them male and female. That's okay. He holds both and so can we. So I think our response to intersex people is actually quite straightforward. That's the first group I wanted to apply those, those two truths to. The second group is transgender people. Probably get a bit more press. There's probably more of them. And this, again, in a room this size, more likely to be a number of you who are working that through in, in various ways as well. What, but I think our response for all of the rest of us who are not transgender is exactly the same in many ways, although there's a couple of complexities we might have to think about as well. But our response is still the same. Our response to a transgender person, somebody says, I am, it's clear that they are biologically male, say, but they experience life and feel like a woman in all sorts of different ways. Our response is exactly the same as it is to an intersex person. God loves you. I love you. You must have faced some challenges. What's it like to be you? Tell me what it's like to live in your shoes. And if there's anything I can do to help, please let me know. In other words, our response is that once again, I want to love this person. What so often happens with things like this is we turn a person into an issue. We make it abstract. Oh, this person's saying this. All oh, right. Well, that's about this issue. Now let's go off and talk about this issue for a long, long time and then forget that there's a person standing there saying, hey, this has been hard for me. It's challenging. And I've faced some up, an uphill struggle in various areas that you don't. And so in other words, I think our response needs to be, no, engage with the person and communicate the love of God and your own love for that person. And again, if you're a transgender person here who is wrestling with this yourself, you know that that's what you need. Right? That's the way that the church is called to respond to everybody. At the same time, because of, some of, the, because of the third group we're going to look at in a minute, there are some complexities you might have to think about as a trans person or if you're engaging with a trans person. One of those complexities, for instance, is that there is a pressure, sometimes in the, in the culture, to define someone as trans too early, rather than to wait and see. So you have a child, and many of you are like 11, 12, 13, sometimes significantly younger, who are wrestling with, well, in this sense I feel very much like a boy, but in that sense I feel like a girl. The pressure can be to define them as, you're trans, that's who you are. Here's a label, wear it with pride, and that pressure can be very damaging. Because what often happens is, in fact, the majority of teens who struggle with gender dysphoria, a disconnect between their biology and their psychology on their sex, the majority of people who have that, by the time they're an adult, have reverted back to the biological sex they were given at birth. In other words, if there were 20 people in this room who today would say, I think I'm trans, more than 10 of you, by the time you're an adult, will have landed squarely back in the biological sex that you, you have, in other words, in line with your genitals, and might continue to have some ongoing questions and difficulties with it, but you would say, no, I'm, as an adult, you'll identify as a man or as a woman. In other words, if you try and fix somebody at 13 or 16 and say, you're trans, that's who you are, you, there's a great risk, actually, that you will not help them because then having landed that way and said, you're right, that is, I know I was born with a penis, but I feel like a girl, so I'm going to be a girl. And then you make that clear to everybody you know at the age of 15. By the time you're 22, you're beginning to think, I'm actually a man. And this is now doubly difficult because I've got to walk back two things, not just one. And so there are some pressures that may make things more complicated when dealing with the, the people and the issue 
um, around transgender, there are some pastoral sensitivities. Some people say, I'm a pastor, so some people say to me, how would you, somebody comes into the church, they're a trans person, how would you pastor them? And I, my answer actually is often, I don't know. I think we just start by talking, let's see where it goes. Let's see how God leads. I've got various things which I believe, which I know are going to impact in the end the way that we respond, but I don't want to start there. I want to find out, what's, hey, what's the story? How's this been for you? Tell me. Let me love you, and, let me, and let's begin to discuss, like, how does how's this come about? What's your journey? And what difference may it make as you become a believer and begin to see who Jesus is? So in many ways, I don't need to answer that question at this point, but that's a, there's a pressure there as well from the church saying, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, I don't know. Let's, let's wait and see. And there are also some practical sensitivities, which is often what the bathroom debate thing is all about. Practical, I read this, I thought read this on Twitter, but I thought it was very helpful. Somebody said, no matter how compassionate the people and the pastor are, if there isn't a family bathroom, things get complicated fast. So that was pretty wise, actually, that sometimes there are just practical considerations that can make things much easier. And that might be another thing you have to think through as moving into adulthood. Having said that, those complexities mustn't obscure the central point, which is God loves you, I love you, what's it like to be you? And I'll help in any way I can. So what we're doing in both of those groups with intersex people and transgender people, what we're doing is we are applying the two biblical truths we looked at. There is a male-female binary and there are exceptions and we're applying those truths from Jesus to people around us. But there is a third group that's probably the group that most of us are the most aware of, funnily enough. We've probably met far more of them than we have of either of the first two groups. And that third group is the activists and journalists and media and students and educators who are using transgender and intersex people as a way of trying to destroy the male-female binary altogether. So this, because there are exceptions, there is no binary. Do you remember a few minutes ago I said some Christians do the opposite? Some Christians say there is a binary, so there can't be any exceptions. What a lot of people today are saying is there are exceptions, therefore there can't be a binary. The fact that this person here has kind of both a clitoris and a penis proves that everybody in the human race is just on a blurry spectrum from male to female. At which point the Christian would say, no, it doesn't. It doesn't prove that at all. It just proves that there are some exceptions of a very different nature to the male-female binary. It doesn't prove that there is just a spectrum here at all. You'd need to demonstrate that, and the vast majority of people know that it's not the case. And so we, Jesus, faced with a society that's saying, there is either a binary or there are exceptions, Jesus says, no, there's both. There is a binary. Haven't you read God made them male and female? And there are some who have been eunuchs from birth. And Jesus applies both of those truths together. So while I want to be very understanding towards somebody who's intersex or transgender, if I've got somebody coming to me who is neither of those things, but instead is using intersex or transgender people to say, your Christian vision of male and female is wrong, and you need to destroy it, and acknowledge that everyone's just on a big blurry spectrum from lion-like red meat-eating man through to stay-at-home baking woman, and everyone's on a blurry mush in the middle, my response to them is actually not going to be quite so nice and friendly. I'm still going to love them, but I'm going to love them by saying, that's just wrong. It's just untrue. It's not helpful. The vast majority of the human race in history and even today knows that it's not true. I think even you know it's not true, as I'm going to try and demonstrate in a moment. And therefore, you need to pack it in. And I might make fun of you because I think that at times, some of the things you're saying don't even sound right to your own ears. I say that, I mean, some of you think, oh, I'm not supposed to make fun of people, that's just not very nice. But actually, when dealing sometimes with some of the kinds of things that are coming at you in the wider society, to be able to say, the emperor has no clothes, is actually quite helpful. I'm going to give you a couple of examples of those things. Just throw this out, I'm, I'm male. I hope you knew that. Um, I'm male, I'm 5 foot 11, I'm 12 and a half stone, I am white British, I'm 37 years old. If I felt like... In my mind, if I felt like I was a seven-year-old, blind, six-foot-two-inch black girl, the best way of you loving me might not be, and I would suggest wouldn't be, for you to affirm that I am all of those things. It would be to acknowledge that that's my experience and to help me work that through, but it wouldn't necessarily be to say those things therefore are true of you. What you would probably do is you would retain a right sense of objectivity about what I am and then try and help me manage 
through a combination maybe of, sort of therapy and prayer and various other things, try and help me manage the dissonance or the disconnect between what I feel I am and what I biologically am. That's probably how you'd help me, and I think the same is true here. So what we're not necessarily doing in saying, I love you, God loves you, is saying, and I'm then going to affirm every truth you believe about yourself and that the society is telling you about yourself. In fact, with some of those things, I may need to turn to the society at large and say, the emperor is not wearing any clothes. So I want, you to, want to show you a quick video of this taking place. This uh, takes place in a university in North America. I think it's a very helpful way of seeing how even the people who are saying some of these things don't actually believe that they're saying them, or at least I cannot for the life of me believe that they do. If you watch this video, you'll see why that's true. There's been a lot of talk about identity lately, but how far does it go, and is it possible to be wrong. We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I, I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you, okay, like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, boy, <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, <laughs> I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now. If that's where you feel, like, mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six feet. If you truly believed you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. So you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but i say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong, like that's wrong to believe in it. Because I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So, I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you were six foot five or Chinese or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a 5'9 white guy that he's not a 6'5 Chinese woman. But clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult? Okay. This is a good video. It's just helpful 
the reason I think it's helpful is actually because what it does is it shows that an awful lot of people, when they stop and think for a moment about what they're saying, don't actually believe that it's true. You can see it on their faces, can't you? They're saying, if you say you're a woman, that's fine, you are, but they haven't then thought through, what, but hang on, would I then say that if I said I was 6'2", or Chinese, or 7, or whatever it might be? And you might think this is all a bit silly, but it isn't. This, in many ways, this kind of thing is happening in various ways within our culture, and the reason why I think sometimes we just need to say, on this one, I want to love the individual, but that doesn't necessarily mean affirming all the things you believe about yourself, because there are some difficulties with doing that, which take me down a very weird line on lots of other issues. The reason that is actually already happening within wider society. This is a, a picture of a woman called Rachel Dolezal. I'm not sure if that's correct pronunciation of her name. She was president of the NAACP, which is an African-American civil rights organization that was very active in the 1960s and the marches under Martin Luther King and all the rest. She was the president of the NAACP, and then it emerged that she was actually white, but she identified as black. And as soon as she was revealed as having been, you see the picture on the left is her, obviously as a white person, and uh, on the right is her now. And you, as soon as that was exposed, she had to resign. She was forced out because obviously people are saying, but you're, you're not. We still think that there is something about a black person or a white person that isn't simply a matter of intellectual or psychological alignment. It's actually bigger than that. There is a reality here about your body that needs to be honored and esteemed, and rightly so. There are some people in society today who identify, who are basically transabled, which means they identify as disabled even though they are physically able. So you might identify as blind even though they can see fine. But that's some sort of identity language that, are, again, our society seems to be unsure about how to draw that back and say, hang on a second, you are not blind. And it's okay for me as a pastor or for you as a friend to say, no, you're not. I love you and I want to help you live, work through and stand with you and talk through how this disconnect works in your life and how to manage it best. But my best approach to somebody who says they're blind when they can see fine is not to affirm that they're blind. The same would be true in many other areas. It'd be true. I mean, here's a, this is a particularly uh, extreme example, I suppose. But this is a picture of a man called Richard Hernandez, um, and he is a 55-year-old former banker who identifies as a dragon. And because he identifies as a dragon, he has taken a number of steps surgically to align his biology with his perceived identity, and they include having horns on his head. He has. I haven't shown you this, but. It's pretty unpleasant, a forked tongue, and as you can see, he surgically shut his nose and his ears as far as possible, and various other things as well, not to mention all the tattoos and the like, and the reason he's done all those things is because he's trying to get his body to match up with his psychology. Now, how, if you met Richard Hernandez, how would you help him? And I think, actually, although there's a lot of complexity behind medically and therapy and so on, I think the bottom line answer is, I would not help him by affirming that he's a dragon. I actually help him by saying, you are a human. You are made in the image of God as a human. You experience life in some way as a dragon. I want to help you manage the dissonance through a combination of therapy, prayer, friendship, love, and so on. But to affirm that you're a dragon straight off the bat is not the right answer to your problem. And I think some of us would probably think, what were the doctors thinking when they put in through some of these processes? At that point, you would think the right, honorable, ethical thing to do is to say, no, 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 that's not actually who you are. And it, I think you actually treat him as if he has a, a disability and you honor him. My both, I've got two children with profound disabilities, so I'm, I'm not speaking of anything I don't know about here, or neither of them think they're dragons, but they have other challenges. And so I actually honor them by saying, this is a disability. This is something that you have to work through. We all have issues to work through. This is yours. I want to stand with you, but that doesn't necessarily mean you are a dragon. And I think at one level, we just have to go back to Jesus and Genesis 1 and say, hang on, haven't you read in the beginning God made them humans and dragons? And I do not respond by saying there is a spectrum from the human to the dragon and we're all somewhere in the mushy middle. I need to acknowledge, no, this is who you are. Now let me help you come to terms with and work through the challenges you have in reconciling who you feel you are with biologically who you are. So, what does love look like? We're in a society that appears to present two options. One, you affirm that there is a binary and deny that there are exceptions, or you affirm that there are exceptions and deny that there's a binary. And Jesus says, no, you need to affirm both of those things. 
affirm emphatically that God made us male and female, that creation is good, that biological sex is good, and affirm emphatically that there are eunuchs, there are exceptions, whether from birth or disfigurement or self-inflicted changes, and it is possible, notice, to be a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. In many ways, Jesus actually lived that both and himself. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Jesus, in coming in the flesh, comes very much as a man. He comes, no less, as a circumcised man. There is nothing about Jesus that is gender fluid in that sense. He's very obviously male. God is not male, right? God in the Trinity is not male or female. God doesn't have a body. God is not biologically wired in that way. But when he takes flesh, Jesus is a male. So he, in many ways, is affirming the male-female binary by saying, I'm a circumcised guy. On the eighth day, I had my foreskin chopped off as a little boy. I am male, and I live in a, in a sexually identified gendered world. But he also lived, in many ways, the life of the eunuch, the one who became a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom, the one who said, do you know what? Despite being a biological male, I don't fit into the, the society's expectations of gender. And I don't get married like everyone thinks I should. And I don't have sex like people think I would. I don't fulfill their marriage and family expectations. I throw a, actually throw the door open to loads of other things when I say, my mother and father are not the key issue here. The, the, my family is people who are part of the kingdom. And so in so many ways, Jesus actually overturns their sex and gender expectations while nevertheless remaining himself biologically male. And the beauty of the gospel is that it is the word and the work of Christ that defines us not our feelings or our experiences. All of us live with some disconnect. All of us, every one of you, lives with some disconnect or dissonance between who you think you are and who God says you are. God says you are a loved child, saint, adopted, secure forever, and you and I know that we don't live as if we are all the time at all. Many of us this week is going to be a big moment on one of those issues where we're going to suddenly realize, wow, I've been living as if I didn't feel that was true. But God says it is. So we all know what it's like to live with a disconnect between our feelings and what the Word of God says we are. So in many ways, it should be very easy for us to turn to our intersex or transgender neighbors and friends and family members and say, I, this is very different from your situation. I know that, but I do get kind of where you're coming from on this. I know what it's like to have something be true and feel like it might not be. And so I want, if you, you can help me and I can help you. Let's work it together. And one day, of course, there will be no intersex and no transgender. And actually, there'll be no marriage or sexual relationships either because one day we are all going to be around the same throne, worshipping the same lamb, and all sorrow and sighing will have fled away. And no one will be thinking, oh, have you got a girlfriend? Have you got a boyfriend? How many children do you have? Have you got married yet? What's it like to be single? What's it like to be gay, trans, intersex? No one will care because we will be united in worship around one, the single man who changed the world and we will become his bride united together forever to inherit new creation and rise in glory. That's where creation's going. One day it won't be an issue, but for now it still is. And so we wait and we pray and we love those around us. Amen? What we're going to do now is uh, have, a, have a chance to take a few questions, I think, I'm looking, there are two microphones poking outwards here, which makes me think somebody did set this up. Am I right about that? Is somebody going to wave and tell me I'm wrong? He's waving and he's, I think that's a thumb up. Okay, so listen, you might have questions on any number of things. They could be, uh, we're going to spend another 15 minutes uh, if you'd like to. If there aren't any questions, that's fine. We'll all go to lunch a little early. Um, but there is a red microphone there and a yellow microphone there. If you want to come up and chuck something in, um, then I'm all ears and I'll do what I can. Talk amongst yourselves while this is happening. Somebody might come out, but don't worry if they don't. It's fine. We have a question. Yeah. That was quick. Okay. Uh, how do you um, tell a transgender person that without offending them? How do I? Uh, tell a transgender person that without offending them. How do I tell a transgender person that without offending them? Tell them what? Tell them... They're being, like, the, telling them that they are something that they don't feel like. Okay. Um, is there a way, by the way, of getting that microphone put back through these foldbacks? I assume there is, but, um, I'm, it, but that's good. I did hear it in the end. Thank you very much. How do you tell a transgender person that, that you don't believe that they are who they say they are without offending them? 
to be honest, I would, my initial thought would be, that may not be what I need to tell them. Um, it, may be, it may not be at all. If, if somebody is, so if I'm, in, if I'm in school or in the workplace with somebody who says, actually, I'm, I identify as a woman and I'm a male, I, it may not be at that point my job or my role to say, I don't think you are. Now, it may be that if my friendship, I think you have to judge really this way, you have to judge the strength of a friendship. Because I think in many, if somebody's asking me, what do you think? I think I can be honest. I think friendship allows that. I think in many ways it's the same, same kind of issue as will have happened with any other kind of area where a Christian believes this and a non-Christian believes that. So when I was at school, we didn't, transgender was not really a social issue. Um, there were people who would struggle with it, but it was very private and no one would know. But the question that I would often be asked is, so do you think people who aren't married shouldn't have sex then? Now, I would ju- have to judge my response according to how well I knew them, but if they were friends of mine and they were asking my opinion, I'd say, yes, I do. I, th- I, don't, think, I don't think, is that the right way around or have I done it wrong? The qu- if they, if, in other words, if they said to me, do you think people shouldn't sleep together if they're not married? I would say, yeah, that is what I think. Because I've got a friendship with them and they're asking my opinion. But I wouldn't see it as my responsibility to walk around school seeing all the couples who were going off whatever out on dates and I knew were sleeping together and stand there and catch them and go fornicating, fornicating or anything like that because that's not my role. I, I, I'm not called to do that. So I think in many ways you have to just judge how strong this friendship is. To be honest, the, the, the honest truth is if somebody wants you to tell them, and you tell them what you actually think, and they are offended, there's probably nothing you can do about that. I think it's okay to be as loving as you can, but say, yeah, but in the end, my understanding of who God is and of how he's made the world means that I, I actually think there is something given about biological sex. And I think some of the, that video in some ways reveals some of the ways in which I think many of our friends probably agree with that already themselves. But I wouldn't feel the need to tell people that as a first up response if someone said, my, as I say, my response would be, if I got a transgender person comes to church on Sunday, hey, I'm a biologically male, but I've transitioned to a woman, uh, what do you think? I'd say, I love you. It's great. I'm so glad you're here. How courageous that you came into a church. Let me, what's it like? How's it been? That would, I, I hope, would be my response, and so it may not even be my place to make that comment at all, but if asked, I would tell them. Yes, sir. Um, so how do you deal with the uh, whole subject of being transgender in the marriage situation, like it says in uh, Ephesians 5, wives submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, and, and yeah. how husbands should uh, honor their wives and make her holy. How do you deal with that when someone maybe is male and identifies as a female? Um, how does that kind of... Do you mean if they get married? Yes. Um, so, you, so the hypothetical is I'm meeting a, a couple where there's, they present as a man and a woman, but the man is biologically a woman and has become a yeah, man yeah. through surgery and then are married together, yeah. what do I, what's the question then? What do I um, say to them or? Yeah, well, how, how do you, which roles do they fulfill? Do you want to come closer to the mic? Uh, which role do they fulfill? Do they fulfill the one that they're like, they, they, um, that they identify as in their mind or that they are kind of, they fulfill in the, in the, uh, in the kind of the relationship? Okay, so I, th- I think it, it sort of depends on, on, on what the reason is why I'm having this conversation. So I haven't, let's say I have a neighbor. I haven't had this. We're, we're two lesbians living next door for us for years. We haven't yet had a transgender couple live next door to us. And if we did, I imagine the discussion about what I think of their original identity would probably never come up that I want to be a good neighbor. I want to love them. If we get to know them well and they start asking, that's great. I'll talk to them about it, but that's not starting point at all. If they come into the church, um, or if I, am, if I meet them in some other setting where I might feel like I've got another responsibility, I'm wearing another hat, not just of a friend, they come into the church, I think, again, sit down, okay, so if you want to join the church, let's talk, what's the backstory? How's, how's this, how, how'd you meet? What happened? Who, how did, when did you transition and so on? Did you know what you were getting into when you married him and all the rest of it? Is this a new challenge you're wrestling with? Is it something you've had a long time? What's the backstory? I think in the end, my fallback is, that someone who's created male remains male and someone who's created female remains female. I think that's what the binary is about. But I don't think I have to get there in conversation very quickly at all. And so if I'm then dealing with a couple who are saying, help us with our marriage, obviously a major part of that issue is, so I need to get underneath how this transition took place and what was behind it when it did and whether it was before or after you got married. Clearly, if you marry a girl and then 
10 years into the marriage, you decide you want, you want to transition to being a woman, and she's now married to a woman, that's going to present a lot of problems for the marriage, irrespective of how good a person you are. So that would need to be treated almost irrespective of some of the questions about what I, what I subsequently think might be true of them. So I, I just need to give it some time and spend some time talking it through with them, I think. But in the end, if you're a male, you, are, you do remain male, and I want to help you work through the disconnect, rather than affirming that you are a female if that's what you feel. Let's have a question here. Um, so if you had a friend that was a male, and they transitioned to a female, and then they wanted to be referred to as a girl's name and as yeah. a she, would it yeah. be biblical to do so? Okay, that's a, that's a great question. And it, can you hear me still? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, what, what names and pronouns should you use? And, I've, and I, to be honest, I've heard people talk on both sides here. My, my opinion is that if somebody is coming to you saying, I want to be spoken to as a, what, using, with male pronouns, or even though I biologically am a woman, I would say that actually a part of a loving response to that person is to use the categories they use. Um, I wouldn't say that would be a rule. I, would resp- I think there are some good reasons not to. I think some people would say, no, that's confirming uh, a, a, an inaccurate statement about themselves and you shouldn't do it. Um, but that, that would be my opinion. That's what I would do, but I don't have a Bible reason to do that. There isn't a text I can turn to and say, here's why you should do it. Uh, I just think at that point, that's, that's not... If, if I don't do that, it's likely to be the only thing that person remembers about me. And I think it's, I want them to know more about me than that and more about Jesus than that. So I would accept on their terms the pronouns and names that they use. That would be my view. And they would, to be honest, that's a good question to ask elders and pastors about in your local context as well, because it may, have, it may be something they've dealt with too. But that I would use the terms they give me personally. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, how do you help young children uh, develop an understanding of the truth when they associate with the other sex. How do you help young children develop an, an understanding of the truth when they associate with the other sex? Is that, uh, I think in many ways the initial answer is not to jump too quickly. So I think what happens is because this people for thousands of years, human beings uh, have had children who act in widely different ways according to their uh, sort of age and preferences and in the last few years parents have begun to think oh, but what if this behavior indicates that they're actually going to want to become a girl I mean I won't ask for a show of hands but let's be honest an awful lot of you know that you dressed up as somebody of the opposite sex when you were a kid and some of you know that you carried on acting and identifying with the opposite sex as if it was you for a lot longer than other children your age did and yet you've still now come to a place where you're saying I am I am fine being a male or fine being a female. I won't ask for a show of hands, but many of you know you did. And so in many ways, I think our best bet at this point is just to continue to allow people to express, to children to play and to imagine and the rest, but to continue to teach there are boys and there are girls. And God's made them both special and there's beautiful things about both of them, but you don't have to be a boy that looks just like this. You don't have to be a girl that looks just like this. There are obviously some, and a very small minority, there was a lot of stuff on the radio about this recently I was listening to, Um, There are a very small minority for whom a very intense sense of dysphoria kicks in at a very young age, and the chances are that kind of person would probably need medical or professional help anyway, not because in the end the doctors wouldn't agree with the fact that it was happening, but because that intensity of dysphoria at that young an age will often need help regardless of what the outcome was. So I think there might be examples. It's a bit like depression. You struggle with sadness and you say, there's lots of things I can do uh, theologically and pastorally and practically, but it might be in an extreme case that I just need medical help. And I think the same might be true there in terms of therapy and, and so on. Um, so I think there's a range of answers, but my, my initial response would be don't jump and don't worry that it's happening because a lot of kids do that. Which side are we? Are we you now? Yeah. Um, how does it work um, for those who have changed their organs? And when the Bible says in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of God. Great question. Great question. So we have a text in the Old Testament which say if you, if you come into the presence of God, or basically you're not allowed in the presence of God if you have... Um, dressed as if you're a member of the opposite sex or you have, don't have the right genitals or whatever, what do we do with that? And I think a key thing to understand at this point 
is that eunuchs would be included in the category of people who were excluded. Um, so the people that Jesus is speaking about in Matthew, way back in Deuteronomy, would have been prohibited from entering the presence of God. In fact, there are a lot, as you probably know if you read your Old Testament, that would, there are lots and lots of purity rules about approaching God when you've had a wet dream in the last seven days, or when you've had a period in the last seven days, and the betting is that a whole bunch of people in this room on that basis wouldn't even have been allowed in this tent if we were in the Old Testament. One of the things that happens through Jesus' ministry beautifully is he actually breaks down those barriers which are rightly placed at the time but are now because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross no longer needed and therefore I think that to say that somebody who's got somebody say who's castrated in the old covenant would not have been able to come and worship with the rest of us but in the new covenant absolutely can and if you're interested in looking it up Isaiah chapter 56 and verse uh, verses of one to six is just this beautiful picture about eunuchs who are now welcomed into the family of God and actually given even greater privileges than those of having children. A memorial, a name that's better than sons and daughters that will never be cut off. So Isaiah 56 is a great place to go, as is Matthew 19, if you're working through the biblical implications of a eunuch approaching the presence of God. We've probably got time for two or three more. Yes, I know both where I work, where my mum works, and probably for hundreds of other jobs, they have like LGBT LGBT days where you're everyone's wearing rainbow colors just how would you explain to your boss or something that you're not comfortable promoting something that you don't yeah. believe in without coming across as hating yeah right you still want to love but you don't agree with the practice so you don't want to promote it yeah fantastic question that's a very real one I imagine for many of us in school or college how do you communicate uh, if somebody says right we're all going to do this now we're all going to wear rainbow colored clothes and celebrate Gay Week, or whatever it might be called, um, you know, I, I, we've got a guy in our church. He's um, he's like one of the biggest Nigerian men I've ever seen. Just this huge man. He's a prison guard, um, and he came to me and he said, "Well, look, because I'm a big black man, they want me to do the diversity stuff in our in the, for the prison. I want to be diversity officer because I'm a big black guy. The problem is that means they then want me to lead our representation on the Pride March." And I don't want to do that. How should I handle it? And so we had to talk this one through, and it'll be true for many, many people. I think the fallback, actually, at this point is that there is something still embedded in British society which we need to treasure, which is actually that there is religious freedom, and there is the capacity. You Generally, it's much clearer with Muslims, because it would generally be much less likely, you would say, to a devout Muslim, come and celebrate Gay Pride Week. Now, some Muslims, of course, would, but many wouldn't. And actually, at that point, it's quite easy to see that there is something a bit oppressive or at least manipulative in saying, even though you have this conviction this is wrong, you must do it anyway as a term of employment. Now, I think what you can say, you, because as a Christian, you want to say, look, I, don't dis- I am not discriminating. I think this person should have the same rights as a human being that I do, but that does not necessarily mean that I believe that their lifestyle is to be approved of. And to be honest, you, probably, my boss, don't believe that mine, in some ways, should be approved of. You don't think it's right that I believe what I believe, and I practice what I practice. And I say there is only one God, and that there is heaven and hell, and that there is, if you like, and that sexual ethics are Christian. So we all disagree about things, but part of being in a plural society is I'm allowed to carry on disagreeing, and I don't have to do something against my conscience on that. And I think usually that will be okay. And in the case of my prison guard friend, that's, well, that's what he did, and that's what many teachers have to do. They say, look, on this one, I just, I, I, love, I love these people, but I'm not prepared to say that something I think is wrong is right. And so I'm going to abstain from that practice. And sometimes people will. I'm afraid the answer is, how do you do that without people calling you hateful? There is no knockdown way of doing that. I teach what I believe. I mean, you guys know, I've, if you've been here before, you know, I, I teach, I've done a lot of public debate and dialogue on this. And there are a whole bunch of people out there. I had one this last week who think I'm an utterly hateful, disgusting, vile person for saying it. In the end, I think no matter how nice you are, some people will still see what you're really saying. And because the language of our day is hater, 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 some of them will use that label. And that's horrible, but it's a part of the cost of being a disciple, I think. But let's do everything we can not to actually be a hater. I don't, I don't, people might call me one, but I don't want it ever to be true. I hope that helps. Let's have just probably one more question. I'm sorry, we won't have time for the others. Let's go here. Um, so if someone has already gone through a physical transition... Um, but then they realize that they are actually their biological sex, Um, do you think they should transition back physically? So if somebody has got another, these have been, by the way, fantastic questions. 
it's just the final question was, so if somebody's been through a transition, so they're born female and they transition to male biologically, and then they begin to associate again with their given sex at birth, should they transition back? I think the answer is yes at two levels. Firstly, they should because it's actually their biological sex. But secondly, they should because even after people have had biological surgery, so we often think it's about a surgical change. You know, you can, some of us might think you flip, a, you flip a switch, you do an operation, and they go from being boy to girl or male to female. It's not like that. That actually, usually, you need a whole bunch of ongoing hormone inhibitors and often therapy as well, certainly hormones, to stop the natural you continuing to produce what it wants to produce because your genes are pulling in a different direction to your genitals. And because that's true, for many people, it's simply a question of removing that ongoing therapy, removing the hormone treatment or whatever, and they will gradually begin to transition back anyway, even if there's no biological process, surgical process being used. So it's probably worth bearing that in mind. So I think at two levels, the answer is yes. Guys, I hope that's been helpful. It's 12.30 on the, on the dot, so we're going to go and have some lunch. Thank you very much for your attention. God bless you.